today. If you've got your outline, I'd encourage you to take it out. And whilst you're doing that, have one eye on the outline, the other outline on me, and the other outline up here. Okay, so eye on that. Article in the paper. The scene's a courtroom. True story. Two men were on trial for armed robbery. An eyewitness took the stand and the prosecutor got up to begin his question. He asked the first eyewitness, were you at the scene of the robbery? Yes, answered the witness. And did you see the vehicle leave at a high speed rate? Yes, said the eyewitness. Did you observe the occupants? Asked the prosecutor. In his normal authoritarian voice. Yes, he said. And he said, are those two men in this courtroom today? And at that point, the defendants sealed their fate because the two that were being looked at raised their hands. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to talk about guilt and grace. And the truth is, all of us at some point in our lives have had to say, I did it. Mia culpa. It was me. And we're all in the same boat. Actually, one of the things I've noticed is on my journey along life, when we start out, nobody wants to say, I did it. It's everybody else's fault. Or, not me. It was Pat. (laughs) He took the cookie from the cookie jar. He ate all the cake, Mum. It wasn't me. (laughs) But we started off like that. But one of the signs of maturity is we say, actually, it was me. Because we're not so, well, well, that's just the way it goes. So we're all in the same boat. But James picks us up in James chapter 2 and verse 10. Notice this, very first verse on your outline. This is the brother of Jesus speaking. The person who keeps every law of God, but he makes one slip, is just as guilty as the person who has broken every law there is. Wow. Wow. James here is recognising in this verse the fact that whether it's one sin or many sins in our lives, we have all slipped up and we've all sinned and we're all in the same boat. And James is pointing to the overall effect of sin on our relationship with God. Here's the effect. It breaks it. If we throw a rock of this size... As a piece of glass, it will break. If I throw a rock of this size, it will still break. The point is, the glass breaks when you throw the rock. And the same way sin breaks our relationship with God. It shatters it. And this morning we're going to talk about the difference, a couple of differences, first of all, between real guilt and false guilt, and then what we try to do to cope with our guilt and God's solution to our guilt. So first of all, what is guilt? We all know what guilt feels like. I especially know that because for the first portion of my life, I felt guilty nearly every day of my life. And the Bible reminds us of this very clearly in Psalm 38 and verse 4. It says this, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. And everyone of us here knows that overwhelming, burdened feeling. See, guilt can actually have uh, physical 
manifestations. It can have mental side effects that can cause great anguish and anxiety. But is that all there is to guilt? Is that all that God meant it to be? Is guilt some kind of punishment that he sends into our life when we've done something wrong? Where he says, okay, you did something wrong, live with this for a while. No, it's not. God has a far greater purpose than that. Picture this. Guilt is actually, think about your dashboard, a warning light that's flashing, that goes off. Now, when I see, and I've told my daughter this many times, if you see something flashing in your dashboard, stop! There's a problem. Don't think that's a pretty light. What a nice pattern that's got. She's done that once at the price of a new engine. A warning light says something is wrong here. But sometimes we try to deal with it when it goes off like, let's ignore that. Let's pretend we're not seeing it because we're in a rush. But the truth is, if something is really wrong, the best thing that you and I can do is sort it. Get on it. Don't ignore it. And that's what we need to do with our lives. Guilt is a warning light saying something's wrong here and you need to get with God to deal with this. Now, before we look at the difference between how we try to deal with guilt and how God says to deal with guilt, His plan, we're going to make a couple of important distinctions about this word guilt. There are two different kinds of guilt. The first one is the genuine fair dinkum guilt. It's the real deal. And we've all dealt with this, every one of us in this room, the real genuine guilt. Especially when we've done things that have hurt other people, damaged relationships with others, hurt the heart of God. So unless anybody in this room is perfect, and none of us are, we have all had to deal with real guilt. Now there's another kind of brand of guilt out there and it's important to understand this if you're going to get past this one and find God's grace, which we sung about today, in the midst of it. And that is something we call false guilt. And there are many people who deal with false guilt. I hear people say this when they're feeling this way. Well, I've asked God many times to forgive me, but I just don't feel forgiven. And that's when you can't get past your past. And in the book of Galatians, Paul starts to talk to some people who are struggling to try and make themselves feel better by doing a lot of good things. Well, I've done a lot of bad things, so I've done a lot of good things. Hopefully, because I'm doing a lot of good things, it'll make me feel better and just to, you know, mitigate or negate or absolve myself from all of those bad things. And he picks this up in Galatians 3. He says this, writing to the Galatians who are trying to do this. He says, you began your life in Christ by the Spirit. Now you're trying to make it complete by your own power. And he says, that's foolish. That'll never work. But that's typically what happens when we struggle with false guilt. We try more and more and more to make it better on our own power. Now, how do you know the difference between real guilt, true genuine guilt and false guilt? How do you know if it's God speaking to you 
or it's Sister Margaret from the parochial school you used to go to reflecting in your conscience or Brother Bob from some ultra-fundamentalist church. How do you know who's really talking to you? Well, three tests that'll help you discern that, whether it's true guilt or false guilt. Number one is, is the focus on people or is it on God? Swiss Christian psychologist and physician, Dr. Paul Turnier says this, false guilt is that which comes as a result of judgments and the suggestions of men. Let me say it again. False guilt is that which comes as a result of judgments and the suggestions of men. Then you contrast that to the real deal, which comes as a result of divine conviction that, well, about what God thinks about this situation. It's not nothing to do with men. It's about what God thinks about it. So if you're struggling with false guilt, you're going to find yourself one of the byproducts is striving to get the approval of other people to make you feel better about yourself. And the problem with that is it wears you out. I have a hard enough time living up to my own expectations. And if you have to live up to everybody else's expectations to get their approval, that will wear you out and you'll find something. They're never pleasable. You, uh, a lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So the question is, first test is, is it people or God I'm trying to please? Second, is, it, is this guilt kind of vague or is it very specific? There's another test you can apply here. Sometimes people will say something like this, well, I kind of just feel guilty all the time. It's kind of like this fog or cloud of guilt over me and they just don't know how to get rid of it. And what they're really saying is they can't identify what the issue is. Now, most of the time in my experience as a pastor over nearly 30 years now, what I've found is that is the discourager trying to pull you down and discourage you and drag you down. See, on the other hand, when God wants to get onto something, He wants to tell us something that we've done wrong, He also wants you to help you fix it. It's very clear what the issue is and how to fix it. He does it like a laser point of light that bursts into your conscience and into your situation. It's not this vague, cloudy thing. I could be reading the Scriptures and everywhere I look is drilling me on that subject. Anybody been on that one? Yeah, yeah, I see those hands. And then you turn the radio on and somebody's singing about the same thing. It's amazing. And then you hear a sermon on that subject that has clear implications for the situation at hand and you know what I'm talking about. So, question When you have this guilt, is it some vague feeling that you don't really know where it's coming from? Or is God pinpointing like a laser beam of light and saying, here's what's wrong and here's how to fix it? The third test, is this based on rules or relationship? So when you're struggling with false guilt, often we are preoccupied with the fact that, well, I broke the rules. And when you're struggling with genuine guilt, the feel is though very different. It's more around relationship. I hurt somebody. I hurt my wife. I hurt my husband. I hurt my children. I hurt the heart of God because of what I did. And it's often tied to relationship. And that's the difference between the two. Rules become more important than relationships in false guilt. 
Well, I didn't break that rule. They miss the fact that the person's been hurt. So it becomes religion rather than relationship. Now, false guilt blinds us to the miraculous work of God's grace. And it binds us to the meticulous rules of men. Which would you rather have? The amazing grace of God or the fanatical rules of men? Remember, God started out with the great Ten Commandments. In the years that ensued, by the time Jesus was here, they had multiplied because men laid strokes upon people's backs to 618 rules. Men are very litigious, picky. God isn't. He's into a relationship. So whatever kind of guilt we're dealing with, true guilt or false guilt, we've, all, we've got ways of dealing with it and God's got ways of dealing with it. Now, what are our ways of dealing with guilt? What do we do with this thing called guilt? Well, if we go right the way back to the very first man and the very first woman, some of their ways of dealing with that are very similar and pretty common today. In Genesis 3, the Bible tells us that when Adam and Eve sinned, they sewed fig leaves together, they made something to cover themselves up. We often cover up, quick cover up, get away from the truth. They hid from the Lord. And then when challenged, Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked and she gave me some fruit of the tree, so I ate it. And the same three ways that Adam and Eve responded closely reflect the way that we respond when we sin. Firstly, we often, when we sin, have a sense of shame. We feel bad about it. And we think if we can feel bad enough about the wrong thing we've done, that eventually that'll make it okay. Actually, it doesn't. Probably most of you have already discovered that doesn't work. I sure have. Shame does not work. Next, they sewed fig leaves together and they try to hide. They were, I mean, get this, hiding in the bushes from God. Yeah, right. Duh. That's like trying to put your hand over the warning light on your dashboard going off and pretending there's nothing wrong here. That's about this crazy. It doesn't work, but they tried it. Just cover it up and hide. Thirdly, they tried blaming, and that is such a popular one these days. Nobody's to blame. Isn't it easy to try and blame your way out of wrong things that happen? We all do this, and there are three here. Yeah. So they are three common ways I often see people trying to deal with guilt. Thankfully, God has an entirely different way of dealing with guilt too. Very, very different from our ways. Now, onto the good part. God's way of handling our guilt is grace. When I was a brand new Christian, one of the very first verses I memorised, and I would highly recommend you do this, is 1 John 1, 9. Incredibly useful rock life verse. It says this, if we confess our sins, if, it's the very, very first thing, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, or one version says purify us, from all unrighteousness. See, sin's like a stain. It blots your copybook. Now, when you circle in that verse, if we confess, circle that part. That's, that's your part. If we confess. If you confess. If you confess. 
Then comes God's part, gifted you by grace that we sung about this morning. If you do that, then He is faithful and He is just and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The theological word is justified. So he says, what does justified mean? Very easy way of remembering that. It's just as if I had never sinned. Justified means that. Just as if I had never sinned. That's how we deal with guilt that can make us sick, can split us up, tear us apart. God wants us to confess our sins. He wants to confess. And that means to, very simply this, to agree with God that an act or a thought or an attitude was wrong. That's what confess it means. God, you're right, I'm wrong. It means to acknowledge this to God and to seek His forgiveness and to make a commitment, say, God, with your help, I never want to do that again. That's to confess it, to acknowledge it. Now, when I was again, one of the traps we can fall into, God, we can say in our prayers, I'm so sorry for all of my sins. But you find the Holy Spirit, that's kind of vague. And you'll find as, as we move on in our Christian walk, God, God started to challenge me, what sin do you want to confess? I don't have to get, oh, you know, that one uh, with that person. You know the one. It, but he wouldn't let me off. What exactly do you want me to forgive you for? And this is the part we have to be specific. None of this blankety stuff. The Holy Spirit will bring to your mind what stands between you and Him. So confess our sins is to agree with God that the act, thought, or attitude was wrong. You say, God, I did it. I confess. That's often sometimes why we even lift our hands and worship. Sometimes it's wow, and sometimes I, I am me a corpa. Uh, it's me. What does that word mean? Sin. Confess my sin. Well, one of the easiest ways to remember what sin is is simply look at the middle letter. Sin is all about I. It's all about me. It's all about my way. It's all about what I want to do with this life that God has loaned me as a gift. It's all about living my own way, my agenda, my budgets, my plans, my dreams. My way, not your way. Now, when it comes to sin, we do one of two things. We either cover it up, or as I mentioned earlier, which is what we do when we're younger, or as we mature in the Christian faith, we face up. We face up to it. So you cover up or you face up. And when you face up, how do you confess your sin? You tell God. You might um, as well tell Him because He already knows. He already knows everything you do. So let's not be honest about it. Uh, let's be honest about it. Why not be honest? Like Psalm 69 here. It says, God, you know what I have done wrong. I cannot hide my guilt from you. Of course not. The Bible encourages us to be honest with Him. So how do you tell God? You do it through prayer. And you talk to God. 
you may want to make, which I have done many times, especially if I couldn't get past a particular thing. I would write down those specifics that were really wouldn't go away. I would write them on a piece of paper, just for me. And then I'd write across the top of it in full, 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, here I am, God, I'm confessing my sin. You are faithful and just to forgive my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And then in my younger days, when we were allowed to do this, I went down to the incinerator and whoosh, burnt it. And that was like a picture to me. It was visually saying, God, I've written that, I've confessed it to you. You're willing to forgive that. Now it's gone and His grace covered my sins. So confession to God eases our conscience and it lightens our cares because I tell you what, walking around with a heavy load, not feeling forgiven can be crippling. It'll sap your energy. It'll sap your spiritual vitality. The Bible also encourages us to tell someone else. Did you know that? Here's something There's something healing about that. Look what the Bible says again. The brother of Jesus speaking. Confess your sins to each other. Confess them to each other and pray for each other so that God can heal you. Now, let me be clear. Jesus made it possible for us to go directly to God for forgiveness. That's clear. But confessing our sins to each other still has an important, clearly an important place in the Christian life of Christians. It also brings an accountability which we all need. See, if I don't need anybody else, I'm an island. That's another mirage for pride and arrogance. Because I don't want to let you know what's going on in my life. I'm very blessed I have four men in my life that I can tell anything to. And they tell me anything back. And I count that as my greatest inheritance in this world. I, have, I hide nothing from them. Nothing. So confess your sin. James is encouraging believers to confess their sins one to another, not to wait until that secret sin has dragged them down to the depths of spiritual defeat. Because your brother will help you up there. Why does James encourage us to confess our sin one to another? Here's the answer. Because sin is most dangerous when it isolates a believer. Sin wants to remain private and hidden. But God wants it out in the light to be exposed and dealt with in the loving fellowship of, listen carefully, Trusted friends. And you will not have more than one or two or three. Therefore, James calls for mutual honesty and mutual confession as believers pray for them. When was the last time you shared something with one of your friends, trusted friends, and you have to be very discerning about who that is? Very Loose links, lips sink ships. Choose carefully. Choose a trusted, tried friend who's journeyed with you for a while. James calls for that mutual honesty and that openness to pray for another. Because you know what? You may have told God a hundred times 
but you've never told anybody else. And because of that, you're still struggling with that guilt that keeps coming up about that sin. And I have found from personal experience there's something very healing about telling a trusted friend. So tell God and tell a friend. That's part of the way of God's handling guilt that comes into us. The second part of 1 John 1, 9 reminds us to really experience the grace. We not only have to confess our sin, but we have to trust God's character. Some people confess their sin willy-nilly, but they never really get to know God who is forgiving them. And because of that, they never know the joy of forgiveness. I tell you what, one of the most amazing existential experiences of my life is when I became a Christian, that burden of guilt went. I didn't have to wake up every day with a grinding stomach and a buzzing head. It had gone. Christ lifts that condemnation that can come with constant guilt. They never know the joy and forgiveness that he wants to give. But look at this verse. He says, he is faithful and he is just. That means you can count on him. You can count on God's faithfulness. People are fickle, but God is faithful. The more you get to know God, the more you'll feel forgiven. But if you hide from God, you're not gonna feel and sense his forgiveness. Look at his invitation. I love this in Hebrews 10. Let us, family, come near to God. Come near, come, 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 come closer. Can you hear him? Come closer. With a sincere heart and a sure faith. Because, why can we do all that? Because we'd be made free from a guilty conscience. So once I've accepted that gift, the invitation is, get close to me. Understand my grace in new ways that frees you to become the person God wants you to be. And friends, I can tell you one thing for sure, that will never happen through guilt. So I encourage you today to enjoy His grace. You can trust God and you can know He's faithful and you can know He's just. And finally, to deal with, God, with guilt God's way, you need to accept His forgiveness. See, He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. To what? Forgive. And the verse ends by saying, and to cleanse us or purify us, that means remove the stain of sin from all unrighteousness. He will purify us from all. That is a very big word. Three letters. Not most unrighteousness, all. What an important three-letter word about grace and what God's able to do. You don't know people who ask for God's forgiveness. They recognise God is willing to forgive and yet they only feel cleansed from some of their sins rather than all. Look at God's promise here in John 3.8. People who believe in God's Son are not judged guilty. So when we believe in Christ and trust what he did for us on the cross, 
The Bible says right there, you are not judged guilty. But if you've never trusted in, in Christ and what He's done for you and His willingness to forgive you, why not take advantage of that offer today? See, because we all have this picture. And I was just yesterday at a gravesite. And a hundred-year-old lady was being lowered into that gravesite yesterday. She had a good innings. But there's not a person on this planet that hasn't got this picture in the back of their mind that one day they're going to stand in heaven and that's, we're going to stand before God and basically they've got this picture that they're going to be judged guilty or not guilty. Guilty or not guilty. Now I want to say something which may shock you. The outcome of that decision is not decided in heaven at that moment. It's decided right here now on earth before you leave earth. And you can settle that issue guilty or not guilty. God's willing through Christ to say, I will judge you not guilty. Why? Because you deserve it? No way. Of course not. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But because of God's grace and accepting God's forgiveness through Jesus' finished work on the cross of Calvary. Now, does that mean that you or I will never fall again and never make a mistake again? Of course not. But it does mean when you can do that and you confess your sin and you recognise His willingness to forgive, you take the consequences and recognise that His grace can even help you with working through those consequences. Now I'm sure that some of you are thinking, but you don't know how big my sin is. You don't know, Pastor Ian, what I did. How could God ever forgive me? Well, be encouraged. When you pick up the Bible, you read story after story after story after story of people that God not only forgave, but He used after their egregious shortcomings. You read the story of Abraham, who starts off worshipping idols, a big no-no. He has an enormous problem lying. Do you know that? Abraham lied through his teeth many, many times. Read the Scriptures. A very fallible man. By the way, that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit will constantly challenge you and I on. Tell the truth. Yet God uses him and calls him and calls him the father of faith. The Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him or credited to his account as righteousness. Here's another one, Moses. He started off with his life pretty much as a murderer. Spent 40 years keeping out of the tale of the law. Yet God used him to set the children of Israel free and bring the commandments to this world, which is a basic foundation of our legal system today. You read about somebody else, a guy called John Mark, who was a wuss, we'd call him a wuss. He was a quitter. He went on a missionary trip and he piped, it was too tough. So he beg it off and Paul got hacked off with him. You can read about it. 
But yet God used him to write the book of Mark. You read about a guy called Paul. And he started off being named Saul. And he was like the equivalent of ISIS today. He went out killing and persecuting believers, murdering them with a written authority to go after them. He stood by while Christians were murdered. Yet God called him by his grace to be an apostle. By his grace. Grace, remember, is one way. You can never earn it. It was on the behalf of God that chose him. God not only wants to free you from your guilt, he wants to use you in a new way. And that's the good news about grace. Notice finally, Psalm 32 verse 5. I finally admitted all my sins to you. One, two, and I stopped trying to hide them. That's our nature. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord. And you forgave me and all my guilt is gone. Wow, that's all what we've talked about today, wrapped up in one verse. Some of you in this room today need the first half of that verse. I finally admitted. I finally admitted my cantankerous, cantankerous, nitpicky, negative attitude to God. Some of you, I finally admitted my pornography addiction, which you were involved in yesterday. Some of you finally admitted you should stop talking to that bird at work because you you are married. I'm that honest. God's not about playing church. He wants pure living. I finally admitted I should stop stealing from work. Stop stealing their time. Stop stealing their property. Stop scamming the commission schemes. I was honest. I finally admitted all of my sins to you. And if you ask the Lord, all you've got to do is between you and God, you say, God, I want to be honest before you. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, just show me what stands between me and you and you just watch what happens. He will highlight it with a laser sword. So I finally admitted, I stopped trying to hide him. There's nothing wrong. Bleep, 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 bleep. I confessed him, and this is the nice part, and he forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Again, some of you need the first half. Today, I finally admitted. And you stopped trying to hide him. And all you need to say is, God, I admit it. I need your forgiveness. I'm tired of trying to make up all my ways of making up for it. But some of you in this room need the second part of that verse. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. The Bible clearly here tells us that when we confess our sin, the sin debt in our lives is painful. I love that. I got a shocking power bill the other day. Stunning. So high. (laughs) But the good news is, when it was paid in full, I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's done. For some people though, it's taken them 10 years, 20 years, 30 years to get from the first half of that verse to the last half of the verse. 
don't let it be that way with you. Recognise that he's a God of grace who wants to forgive you and shower you with a beautiful sense of forgiveness. Why? Because we deserve it? No, because he loves us. Yes. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Why don't you just take a moment to talk to God about what we've talked about today. Admit your sins to God. Forget everybody else at the moment. Just focus on talking to Him in your heart. And say something like this, Father, I confess my sin to you today. I agree with you. I've done wrong things. Some of those wrong things, they've hurt me. Some of those wrong things have hurt others. But Lord, I know deep in my heart, all of those things have hurt you. And I'm tired of trying to make up for them in my own way. Would you forgive me? Would you say thank you, Jesus, for coming to die on that cross so that I could be forgiven? Thank you that you paid that penalty for my sin. Today, after hearing what you've had to say from your word, I want to say I trust you completely. I trust your character, that you're faithful, that you're just, you're a perfect judge and you will forgive me. Today, as best as I know how, I accept your forgiveness into my life. Help me to begin to live out a life filled with your grace. And Lord, as I've been freely receiving from you, may I give grace to others. Help me to step out into the fresh air of your grace today. And to breathe deeply. Father, today I am making a commitment to take you and your word and to trust you. Thank you that all my guilt is gone in Jesus forever. In the strong, the everlasting and the powerful name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And all the people gratefully said, Amen.